Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. A dangerous weather front from the Arctic is impacting the Northeast and New England. Wind chills in some areas could plunge to minus 50 degrees. The White House revealing that Biden learned about the Chinese spy balloon three days ago. We bring you the latest developments. January jobs report released today. More than half a million jobs added in the U.S., beating estimates by more than double. Project Veritas is out with a new video. This time, it's more footage of an alleged Pfizer executive. Find out what he says about the mRNA vaccine, hormones, and fertility. And the origins of online censorship and how extensive it's become. We sat down with an expert on the topic who says censorship today is much worse than most people think. A dangerously cold weather front is hitting the Northeast and New England. Schools closed today as officials put emergency plans into place. Temperatures in some areas began plunging this morning. Wind chills in some regions of the Northeast could punch below minus 50 degrees. That's as an Arctic front is sweeping in from Canada. Even in lower elevations, wind chills could make it feel as cold as minus 30 degrees. Schools closed today in Boston and in Manchester, one of the largest cities in New England. Officials say it's too dangerous for kids to walk home because they could suffer from frostbite. Even cold weather sports were curtailed. Some ski resorts scaled back operations, eliminating night skiing and reducing lift operations. The east isn't the only area feeling the chill. States as far west as the Dakotas are experiencing it to some degree. And a Chinese spy balloon over the United States. The Pentagon says it'll stay for a couple of days. NTD's Iris Tao has the latest from the White House. President Biden agrees not to shoot down the Chinese spy balloon due to potential risks to civilians on the ground. That's according to the White House, which revealed on Friday that Biden was briefed about the balloon as early as Tuesday. Does not present a military or physical threat to people on the ground. We are tracking closely and keeping all options on the table. The White House adds that Biden agreed with Secretary of State Antony Blinken's decision to postpone his trip to China. And that the PRC's decision to take this action on the eve of my planned visit is detrimental to the substantive discussions that we were prepared to have. The president himself, however, did not stop from my question on Friday about the spying airship. And China claims that the balloon, which is the size of three buses, is a research airship blown off course. But the Pentagon rejected that claim on Friday, saying it is used for spying. Is, uh, we know that it's a surveillance balloon. Clearly, it's, in, it's violated U.S. airspace. The balloon flew over Montana, which is home to hundreds of ballistic missile silos. And the Pentagon says the balloon, which is maneuverable, is now somewhere above the central U.S. and moving eastward. But few details were given on its exact location. It's over the center of the continental United States. That's about as specific as I'm going to get. But I understand my being convenient, but does the public not have a right to know? If uh, the, the public is over certainly their state? has the ability to look up in the sky and 
and see where the balloon is. And beyond the balloon are larger threats posed by Beijing. Lawmakers from both sides of the aisle say this incident demonstrates that a Chinese Communist Party threat is not confined to distant shores. It is here at home. The Chinese Communist Party has long posed a technological, economic and military threat. And we're just seeing the latest evidence of this right now. And as the Pentagon says the balloon will stay over the U.S. for a few days, some congressional Republicans are escalating calls for the administration to take it down now. And Senator Josh Hawley is now demanding an investigation into what he calls Biden's baffling response thus far. Reporting from the White House, Iris Tao, NTD News. Nonprofit journalism group Project Veritas published a video last night. It shows an alleged Pfizer executive discussing whether Pfizer's COVID vaccine is affecting women's reproductive health. NTD's Daniel Monahan has that story. The Veritas journalist asked alleged Pfizer executive Jordan Tristan Walker about vaccine injuries and liability. They then discussed problems observed with menstrual cycles. Irregular about their menstrual cycles, so people have to investigate that down the line. Yeah, well, because that is a little concerning. Because like, if you think about the science, like it shouldn't be interacting with like you know the uh, it's called like the hypo, uh, hypothalamus, pituitary gonadal axis. Right. Like you know the hormones are like their menstrual cycles and things like that. And the vaccine shouldn't be interfering with that, so we don't really. The journalist points out that Walker is a urologist, so he should understand what's going on. Walker says that's why he understands that it's weird. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, and we don't discover something really bad. No, I hope we don't find out that like there's somehow this mRNA like lingers in the body and then it, like has because what it has to be impacting something hormonal to impact menstrual cycles. Right. So somehow the vaccine must be interacting with like the axis signal, the HPG axis. The HPG axis refers to the hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and gonadal glands. It controls development, reproduction, and aging. So the HPG axis is why the fertility problems are happening. Yeah, because they control the cycles. So like if it's saying impacting that, it must be impacting these hormones okay. somehow. But then we can control like how are they finding hormones? Because like the signaling sucks in like the brain, right? Dr. Robert Malone says that variations in menstrual cycles and the onset of menses in postmenopausal women are troubling. All these things are pointers that there's something going wrong with the ovaries, because mm -hmm. the ovaries drive menstruation. Dr. Stephanie Seneff also weighs in. In a, in a study that actually traced where does the RNA go, they found the, among the organs, they found the highest level in the spleen. And then among women, they found second highest level in the ovaries which is very problematic for pregnancy. According to clinical trials, COVID-19 vaccines are reportedly unlikely to impact fertility in the long term. Walker says that looking forward, Pfizer is developing the mRNA technology for, quote, a whole list of things. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. And next, a House committee is planning to hold a hearing on censorship next week. The lawmakers are investigating Twitter's possible suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. The House Oversight and Accountability Committee has scheduled a hearing next week to investigate possible censorship by Twitter of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Chairman James Comer says Americans deserve answers about what he calls an attack on the First Amendment. This week, the Epic Times sat down with an expert on social media censorship who also says the First Amendment is under attack. Mike Benz is the executive director of the Foundation for Freedom Online and a former State Department diplomat under the Trump administration. 
According to Benz, the Internet changed after 2016. He says during that year, Brexit led to fears that more countries would leave the EU, which could have resulted in the UN falling apart. And of course, Donald Trump's unexpected political victories shocked many. Ben says the information ecosystem had to be reformed in order to keep alive rules based on international order. Both of these events were viewed as being internet elections, if you will. So they, social media was the reason that Nigel Farage uh, developed the popularity of the Brexit movement. It was through his viral YouTube speeches to the, um, the European Parliament. It, and it was the domination of Twitter hashtags and Facebook groups that were responsible for um, you know, Donald Trump's popularity at the base level. He says it was at that time that social media companies started implementing AI technology that automatically recognizes what a post is about. If someone was talking about, say, a Trump policy, you could map the linguistic topography of that narrative and you could grade all of the different words and slogans and memes and concepts into essentially what looked like a chess computer readout. He says the same AI system then goes ahead to either automatically delete a post, shadow ban it, or add a fact check box, depending on the post's severity. According to Benz, all that is done in coordination with the government, similar to what the Twitter files have been exposing. But he says the Twitter files are only the tip of the iceberg. 22 million tweets uh, were categorized as misinformation for purposes of takedowns or, or throttling um, through EIP. Compare that to, you know, six or seven highlighted in a Twitter files dump. Uh, these are six or seven orders of magnitude. It's, uh, it's, it's not even the same ballpark. If you want to watch the entire interview and the second part of it, which will be released on Saturday, you can catch the full episodes of American Thought Leaders on Epoch TV. And despite recession fears, there are more signs that the labor market is still strong. Today, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reported the U.S. economy added 517,000 jobs in January. Here's what President Biden said earlier today. While we may face setbacks along the way, and there will be some, there's more work to do, it's clear. Our plan is working because of the grit and resolve of the American worker. The surge is a big surprise. It's more than two times higher than expected. The leisure and hospitality sectors saw the most gains. The government also said the unemployment rate fell to 3.4 percent. That's a level the U.S. hasn't seen since 1969. And it seems Americans are getting paid more. Average hourly earnings went up three-tenths of one percent month over month, up 4.4 percent year over year. The year-over-year -year consumer price inflation was 6.5 percent last month. And the House GOP has started its probe into Biden's border policies and will soon hold an on-site hearing at the border to further force a spotlight on the issue. Many lawmakers say immigration and border policy are multifaceted issues and some are now saying the two should be dealt with separately. Here's NTD's Melina Weiskopf with more. Immigration and border security, a highly polarized issue that was on full display this week during the GOP's first border hearing. We will hear about dangerous encounters with illegal migrants on private property. We will hear about the devastating effects, as I said earlier, of fentanyl. This is a sham. So what would you like to see a hearing on the border consist of? What do you think is necessary to talk about right now? regards to the border the proper policies um, but this whole nonsense about the open border that the Biden administration is an open border it's just not true 
And with the two parties miles apart on finding solutions, some lawmakers are now trying to decouple the issue. For example, Representative uh, Abigail Spanberger, who is a Democrat who just won re-election in the swing district of Virginia, saying we can decouple the discussions of people and humanity and workers and families from the very real truth that indeed there are transnational criminal organizations that are trafficking fentanyl and making billions of dollars a year trafficking vulnerable people. And Spamberger is not alone here. This is a message that we heard from many Democrats during Wednesday's hearing. Here's a look. We've heard that what we really need is comprehensive immigration reform. That is a question separate and apart from securing the border, which is about enforcing the laws that we already have. While some other lawmakers have tried to take the exact opposite approach by writing bills that would provide funding for border security while at the same time providing immigration reform, uh, such as providing a pathway to citizenship for dreamers or reforms to the asylum process, but it's unclear how much support bills like this would get on Capitol Hill. Well, what we've seen for the last several years is that we've attempted to do that, and border security uh, funding has ramped up over and over again. I think that we need a lot more than just the asylee process. And while House Speaker McCarthy has called on DHS Secretary Mayorkas to resign, Republican leadership has not officially started that process to impeach him. Here's what Congressman Jim Jordan told me just yesterday. That's a decision we'll make as, as Republicans on the committee and uh, as, a, as a conference. Um, so I've been very clear about that. I haven't called for it. Uh, he certainly warrants it, but whether we will, uh, you know, move in that direction is going to be determined by Republican members of the Judiciary Committee in consultation with the Speaker and, and the Republican Conference. When do you think you might? And Jordan tells me lawmakers will be headed to the border in just a few weeks for that on-site border hearing. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. A nationwide teacher shortage is leaving thousands of students without educators in grades K through 12. Some schools have been forced to cancel classes. Here's that story. It's Lala Bivin's first day at a new school. The 10th graders started fall classes at One City Preparatory Academy, a new charter school in Madison, Wisconsin. But on January 13th, the school says a teacher shortage forced it to shut down classes for 9th and 10th graders. Teachers were just dropping like flies. I often hear from young people. The school lost five core academic teachers since the beginning of the school year. And despite a national recruitment effort, he could not fill the positions. It's A wing, that's B wing, and right there is G wing. The school helped Lala and 61 other students scramble to find new schools mid-semester. After a week of missed classes, her mother enrolled her at a local public high school. We got a spot for you. Over there. Right over there. What's playing out in Madison, Wisconsin, is the worst-case scenario of a national teacher shortage gone unchecked. Department of Education data shows 47 states have reported teacher shortages this school year with the problem most acute in urban and rural areas. Meanwhile, some state legislatures are passing laws making it easier to become a public school teacher. Raise your hand. The National Council on Teacher Quality says from January 2021 to January 2023, 23 states have lowered teacher qualification requirements. 
from lowering or removing assessment tests that determine whether teachers grasp the subject they will teach to creating emergency teacher certificates to expedite candidates without a teaching degree in classrooms. Arizona, Florida, and Oklahoma have created new pathways for people without a bachelor's degree to teach in classrooms. When states respond to shortages by reducing standards rather than by increasing salaries and improving working conditions, what they're doing is creating a vicious cycle. So they get people in who are underprepared. Those people leave at two to three times the rate of those who've come in with preparation. Back in Madison, Wisconsin, Superintendent Carlton Jenkins School District will absorb most students transferring from one city charter school, despite his district dealing with its own teacher shortage. I know our staff is like amazing. They do magical type work. It's still a challenge and eventually it brings stress on the staff. And the incoming students may already be behind. When I didn't have enough teachers in my classes, it was very hard because we didn't really learn anything. And they had so many great opportunities, and to hear that that was no longer being afforded to her, it broke my heart and uh, brought me to tears. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Coming up, the government announces grants to help address homelessness. Is it solving or stoking the crisis? We hear it from a national leader on this persistent epidemic. And in the NBA, Brooklyn All-Star Kyrie Irving has already suited up for three different teams in his stellar career. Could he be on the move again, though? NTD's Dave Martin has the update. That and more coming up. our attention now to homelessness. As this human tragedy continues to surge across the country, the Biden administration announcing more than $300 million in grants and vouchers for communities to tackle the problem. Earlier today, I spoke with Michelle Steeb, a national leader on the homelessness epidemic and senior fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation for her analysis. Michelle, Steve, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Steph. Now, the Department of Housing and Urban Development announced Thursday that it's awarding $315 million in grants and vouchers to address homelessness. That comes as part of a larger plan that they announced at the end of last year. What's your impression of how this plan is going so far? Well, all of their plans are based on a uh, an approach to homelessness called Housing First, which uh, they rolled out in 2013 saying that it would end homelessness in a decade. So we're now a decade uh, beyond that, that promise, and homelessness has increased very significantly. Uh, despite their promise, it's increased by 20.5% at the uh, unsheltered level across the country and by 16% overall. California also doubled down on housing first in 2016, and homelessness, unsheltered homelessness went up by over 47% and, and by almost 40% overall. So uh, their new plans and the new funding, as, as much as I wish I could say that they're, it's going to work and it's going to make an impact, it's only going to produce more of the same. Why is that? 
Well, the, the data uh, proves this out. So at the federal level, when they rolled out Housing First, one of the, the things that they did that they don't talk about is that they wholly defunded treatment, like drug and alcohol counseling, mental health counseling, uh, trauma-informed care. They defunded those services completely, and they rolled all of that money into housing subsidies. And the results are that homelessness went up, again, both at the federal level and in California. So th the real answer is we cannot solve this problem, which is a human uh, being problem. It is not a housing problem. It's human beings who are struggling with very severe illnesses, diseases, largely mental illness and uh, substance abuse, and they need treatment of those services. Housing is an after uh, thought of that. You need to treat these illnesses first. As you mentioned, addiction often accompanies homelessness, and there are many so-called safe injection sites set up to try to help with that. What's your take on these sites? Vancouver is North America's first you know, safe injection site. I, I, I don't even like to use that, that language because there's nothing safe about injecting illegal drugs. Since it opened in 2003, less than 1% of the site visitors have entered into any form of drug treatment. They will cite the fact that they've uh, prevented overdoses, they haven't had an overdose on site, but they don't talk about the fact that in that area, in Vancouver, British Columbia, the uh, illicit drug deaths have gone up by 900% since the opening of the safe injection sites. There's crime, there's you know congregations of dealers everywhere around that site because they have a built-in marketplace. You've said that disease reversal services would better serve the community. What would that look like to you? We need to increase treatment beds. We need to increase services and at the federal level for the vast majority of the homeless who are struggling with addiction. We need to fund those services and couple them with housing. And lastly, is there anything that's being left out of the conversation about how to effectively address the nation's homelessness crisis? Uh, I think what's being left out of the conversation, I know what's being left out of the conversation, is the data that proves that this housing-first approach as a one-size-fits-all does not work. They will say it's evidence-based, but the evidence is very clear. The evidence since Housing First has been in place is that homelessness has only increased. The other uh, evidence that I would cite, you know, in, in, in the Biden administration's new plan, they said that we need to double spending. Well, under Housing First, we already doubled spending and we got an increase in homelessness. So doubling down on a failed policy, uh, doubling down on uh, the investment in it will not work. And, and that is really uh, what needs to be talked about at the federal level and everywhere else in the country. Great. Thank you so much. Michelle Steeb, Senior Fellow at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. Kyrie Irving wants out of Brooklyn. ESPN is reporting that the Nets' seven-time All-Star would like to be traded before next Thursday's trade deadline. If they do move him, it'll mark the end of an uneven three-plus years in New York. Irving signed a massive four-year, $141 billion deal as a free agent back in 2019. 
but since then he's played in just over half of the team's games since then due to injuries, New York City's vaccination policy, and a suspension last fall after posting a link on social media to a film considered to have anti-Semitic content. When he plays though, the 30-year-old has still shown himself to be one of the league's best players. This season he's currently 11th in the league in scoring at just over 27 points a game. Now Irving has made trade demands before. In 2017, he reportedly wanted out of Cleveland despite teaming with LeBron James to win a title the year before. The Cavs obliged and dealt him to Boston where he spent the next two years. At the heart of this year's issue though may be a contract extension. Irving is in the final year of his deal and according to a January 25th article at Bleacher Report, his agent said he has reached out to the team but hasn't had any significant conversations. The Nets are currently fourth in the Eastern Conference with a 31-20 record, but have lost seven of their last 11 games without the injured Kevin Durant. And for your sports viewing schedule tonight, eight games are planned in the NBA, including the team with the league's best record, the Boston Celtics, hosting the Phoenix Suns. And finally, for you hockey fans, no games tonight, but the All-Star Skills Competition begins at 7 with the fastest skater, hardest shot, and accuracy shooting competitions, among others, taking place at the All-Star Game then on Saturday. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph? Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.